Mark 14, verses 26 through 42. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny, with, will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We are weak. It is an indisputable fact. Physically, emotionally, ethically, spiritually. At the core of our being, we are all weak regardless of our thoughts to the contrary. Even the Christian with a seemingly unshakable faith, the Apostle Paul comes to mind, even that kind of Christian is inherently weak. None of us has the strength to sustain our being for one moment, much less ensure that we have strength to pass from this world into eternity. We are weak. We need outside intervention. We need someone to watch over us, someone with inherent and eternal strength to help us, to protect us, to nourish us, to guide us to a place of rest. 
What we need is a shepherd, for we are like sheep. David, King David, you'll recall, knew the Lord as his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, he wrote in Psalm 23. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, a shepherd in real, in real life before he became king, knew that the Lord was actually the shepherd. And our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ is that shepherd. Emmanuel, God with us, the shepherd with us. And he's a good shepherd. Remember what Jesus, our Lord, taught in John, his gospel, chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. And this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who come before me, who came before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. 
I read that to you so that you will, with confidence, remember this morning, as I say, Jesus is the good shepherd. That's his definition of himself, of his ministry to us. And as the good shepherd, Jesus leads his people, his sheep, leading us through this world of struggle into that eternal rest that only he can secure. He doesn't waver from that duty. Even in his suffering and his death, he did not flee from his duty. He's the good shepherd. But his sheep, although they know his voice, tend to think that we are somewhat capable of keeping ourselves. You ever known anyone that raised sheep, maybe goats? You ever known that animal to take care of themselves? It doesn't happen. We aren't capable of taking care of ourselves either. Mark 14 These verses before us prove that notion of our self-sufficiency to be false. And this passage highlights just how desperately Christians need our Savior, the Lord, our Shepherd. And this passage gives us some more understanding about this relationship as Jesus and His disciples are gathered like sheep with His a shepherd rather with his sheep on the night that he was betrayed. So I want us to consider together the Lord our shepherd. Maybe not something you thought of as you've read this passage before. But I want us first to look at verses 26 through 31 and the fact that Jesus knows his sheep. And he knows us very, very well far better than we know ourselves. As noted, shepherds and sheep are commonly used by God to convey His purpose and plan of redemption. Keep in mind that Jesus just finished explaining to His disciples and demonstrating that He is the Passover Lamb. You'll recall that from the passage that I shared with you last time. Verses 18 through 25. Jesus, the Passover lamb, that forms the basis of the new covenant as proclaimed in the Lord's Supper. As he tells us in those latter verses there, Jesus was preparing the apostles. He was preparing his church for the necessity of his death. He must die. The shepherd, the good shepherd, must lay down his life for the sheep. Hmm. And he continues to prepare them here, emphasizing they can add nothing to what he alone must do. Actually, Jesus totally obliterates any idea that anyone but himself is able to accomplish salvation. And he does this by highlighting our absolute weakness. In fact, he'll go on to tell us, you're weak in the flesh. 
in your humanity. Apart from me, you're weak. Already he's warned them that there was one among them who would betray him back in verse 18. The other gospels fill in the details as to how much that upset them. How much that challenged their perception of Christ and of themselves. In verse 26, after this had taken place in the upper room, we're told that Jesus and his disciples departed there. Judas had left and gone into the night to betray Christ, unknown fully to the apostles. Jesus began in the upper room instructing them on their relationship to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That wonderful, beautiful passage from John 14 through John 17, concluding there in chapter 17 with our Lord's high priestly prayer. But Matthew notes here they had sung a hymn, likely Psalms 115 through 118, the Hallel Psalms. That was customary at the closing of Passover. Luke adds that it was Jesus' custom to visit the Mount of Olives, John 18, 1 and 2, identifies a garden where the Lord often met with his disciples there for prayer. It was a comfortable place, a a place they identified with quiet and rest. Mark, in verse 32, tells us it was called Gethsemane, which means oil press. So there on the Mount of Olives, where all the olive groves were, there was this place where at least there was or had been an olive press, And it was somewhat of a garden or a a secluded place where they brought the olives to press them. Jesus and the disciples leave the upper room and that's where they find themselves. So it's a familiar place. This place of refuge and prayer. And the Lord gathers and leads his disciples there. Sound familiar? Like a shepherd. Verse 27, it's at this point that Jesus cites Zechariah, the prophet, chapter 13, verse 7, where God says, I will strike my shepherd. The sheep will be scattered. Jesus identifies himself as the shepherd here, he uses that analogy. Seemingly out of the blue, but not really, because what was he doing? He brought them with him. They are following him. They have heard his voice in the upper room. Judas didn't. He departed, but the rest follow him, and they go to the garden, this place of rest, and thinking, I'm sure, he's going to teach us further, perhaps. But they've heard his voice. They followed him. And now Jesus said, I'm going to be stricken. Perhaps even the language of Isaiah 53, smitten of God, came to his mind or to that of the disciples. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What? I'm sure the wheels are turning forward and then in reverse with the disciples. 
This analogy is going from bad to worse. Shepherds protect, shepherds keep, shepherds lead to rest and nourishment. Strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. In our Lord's high priestly prayer in John 17, 12 through 13, Jesus tells them, I've guarded you. I lost none except Judas, that son of perdition or son of destruction. But that was foretold. And now I must go to the Father that my people may have this joy of mine fulfilled in them. Yes, the shepherd will be smitten, but that's not the end of him. He didn't stop shepherding. He stood up courageously and boldly for his sheep. He laid down his life for them. He went out like David to meet the lion and the bear. Jesus said that has to happen. I must face the enemy. Even death. He repeatedly told them he must suffer and die. Just as it is written of him, he said back in verse 21. It must happen. But how can a wounded or dead shepherd help the sheep? The sheep will doubtlessly scatter without their shepherd. You can't go, Lord. But before anyone else responds, Jesus says in verse 28, Yet after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. I won't stop leading you. I have to face the enemy. I will die, but I will be raised. Always great, that resurrection part, isn't it? After I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Where it all began, where I called so many of you, there I will go and I will recommission you. And I will continue leading you as you go out through this world and you spread this gospel of mine. But the good shepherd must lay down his life first. So that the sheep might be justified before God. So that they might actually be really his sheep. He'll rise from death. He'll gather them again, as I said. Commission the church. He'll ascend to the Father. He'll send the Spirit to guide and to nourish and to protect all of us until we are with him, as he told them in the upper room. Really, all that language, all that Jesus taught them in the upper room was language of a shepherd to the sheep. Here's how this is going to go. Here's how I'm going to continue leading you. But first, I have to die. I have to be that Passover lamb. I have to fulfill what that means. I have to not only have lived this perfect life that I've lived, that I might be the spotless lamb of God. I have to now lay down my life for you. I have to go to the cross and bear your sin, the wrath of God for your sin. Jesus never ceased to shepherd the flock, even on the cross. 
Now he's just expanded the flock. Remember what he said back in John 10, verse 16? I read it to you a moment ago. I have other sheep that aren't of this particular flock among you, the Jewish people, and I must go and call them. That they may come and there may be one flock and one shepherd. Congratulations, you Gentiles. Praise the Lord. We can enter the fold. Jesus died and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father and has sent His Spirit and the church goes forth still following Christ and the gospel goes out and more sheep are called. That's how you got here today. If indeed you trust in Christ. Jesus has all along been shepherding. But as verses 29 through 31 Explain the sheep don't always understand that. Jesus understands us, but we don't always understand Jesus, do we? He understands us, but we don't always understand him. And in keeping with Peter's proclivity to speak for the rest and boldly assert himself as Jesus' most loyal follower... He basically blurts out, but I won't scatter. Not me. All the rest may. They may desert you. But if I have to die with you, Jesus, I won't scatter. I won't flee. And Jesus said, oh, yes, you will. I'm summarizing here for the sake of time. But you remember what I read earlier. Jesus, in essence, says, No, you won't be strong, Peter. You're actually so weak that you'll deny you even know me before morning comes. Now that's a shepherd that knows his sheep even when they seem to have forgotten him. He not only knows us, but He so beautifully demonstrates how even when we deny Him, even in our sinless shepherd's deep suffering for our sin, He has still shepherded us. Look at verses 32 through 42. He knows His sheep, and here we see He leads His sheep. How does He shepherd us? How does Jesus shepherd us? Well, this passage is so beautiful. The shepherd gathers us around and he's not only told us what he's going to do, he's demonstrated who he is and what he has done for us. How much the father loves us, how much the son loves us. And as our great high priest, he leads us. As our great high priest, he shepherds us so diligently, so faithfully, so lovingly, interceding for us before the Father. Go back to John 17, that great high priestly prayer. The prayer of the shepherd. He gathers his flock around him here at Gethsemane. He says, what? 
I'm going to go off by myself over here and you guys go on the other side and don't bother. Is that what he said? No. Jesus said, sit here while I pray. Near me. The sheep are gathered near the shepherd. He prays. They watch and learn, or at least they should be watching. They're not watching when Jesus said, can you not even watch with me one hour? He doesn't mean watch and guard and protect me because I may be in danger. Judas may have gone off to betray me and people are coming after me. That's not what he's saying. What does he want them to watch? The shepherd. What's the shepherd doing? Shepherding. How does Jesus shepherd? He's praying for us. Watch and learn. Verses 33 and 34, Peter, James, and John, we're told, are called a little closer to Jesus. Now, they're not better than the rest. Often we see Peter, James, and John that sort of, often they're called the inner circle of Christ, but it's not because they were better. Okay? If you know anything about livestock, my grandfather and I used to raise, raise some beef cattle, so I've chased quite a few cows in my time. And called quite a few cattle and brought them to eat and brought them to drink or led them away from something dangerous. Sometimes there are just animals in the herd that respond a little quicker. And you can use them to help lead the others where you want them to go. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Peter, James, and John aren't more astute believers I'm standing up here preaching to you the scripture. Pastor John does that every week. It's not because we're better than you. Okay? It's not because we're on some elevated plane. We're just some sheep that the Lord's been able to maneuver where he wants us to help lead the others at the present time. Right? He nudges us. We just happen to respond to the the bucket of feed being shaken a little faster sometimes, and that's, that's the way I look at it. And so, Peter is, you know, going to turn around and deny Christ in just hours. It's not because he's more capable or would never betray Christ or anything of the sort. Jesus just wants them closer. Why? Because he wants them to remember this and to hear all his words and to record them. For you and for me, the sheep that would come later. They were simply the Lord's choice in his wisdom to be close to him at that moment. They were close to him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? Did they deserve more than the others to see the Lord's glory shine forth at the Transfiguration? They had to see and understand something that he knew they could convey to the others the way he wanted it conveyed. For their glaring shortcomings, they were usable, like all of us. Like a wise shepherd uses certain sheep to help herd the rest. 
They were allowed to see Christ crushing distress and sorrow in the garden to convey to us just how much agony he was in. Luke tells us he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. That was how great his anguish was. But what do we learn from Jesus' prayer in the garden, verses 35 and 36? Well, for one thing, in his humanity, he felt the intensifying weight of what the Father required of him. He was feeling the weight of what it meant for the shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. It grew closer and closer. The cross was in view. Its shadow was cast across Christ. We also know that Jesus genuinely desired that it might pass. That's natural. Think about it. Our shepherd, the great shepherd, perfect in every way, no flaw in him, a heart to do his job, to do what the Father called him to do. He was feeling that, and he prayed, Father, if that might pass. The one who knew no sin was in the process of becoming sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In his humanity, that was quite the struggle. In his will, he desired it, but in his flesh, he recoiled. He had never known anything but fellowship with the Father. And the Father was about to turn his back on the Son, on the Shepherd. His eternal, loving relationship also we see with the Father here. He calls him Abba, an endearing Aramaic term reflecting great intimacy. Sort of equivalent to our daddy or papa. No other way to deliver the sheep though. Except that in the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God, Acts 2.23 tells us, Jesus must lead us into suffering before he leads us to glory. In the final verses here, our shepherd, we see, always knows the danger and just how weak we are without him. This is where he tells us we're weak. Like real sheep, we don't truly recognize how desperately we need to be cared for. That sheep that wanders away from the flock has no clue all the danger that's out there. I mean, even if the sheep had some inkling, he has no real clue just how much danger he's in. Sheep, you know, if they fall over, they they have a hard time even thinking about getting up, much less actually doing it. If they fall into a ditch, it's over, unless there's a shepherd. Sheep are weak. Sheep don't understand the danger that they are in. And sometimes we, as Christians, sheep of Christ and his flock, we feel safe. Sometimes we aren't keeping the shepherd in sight. Sometimes we wander just a little bit away, or we take our rest and sleep, as Jesus told the disciples here. Verse 41, 
But listen, you need to be near the shepherd. Are you near him this morning? You say, well, I don't know. Well, I got good news. You are. You gathered with the saints this morning. And the word of God. Christ, by his spirit, brings to you. We sing it. We pray according to it. We preach it. We observe it in the sacraments. You are near the shepherd this morning. He's protecting you. He's feeding you. He's nourishing you. He's guiding you. We need to be near the shepherd. We need to be attuned to his voice so that we must watch and pray. Not not just watching your weakness. Here's this whole issue of sanctification. Listen, you don't sanctify yourself. Christ sanctifies you with his word. You need to keep your eyes on him. Don't be introspective all the time. And the only thing you're going to find when you keep looking inside at your heart and try to figure out what's going on with you so that you can sanctify yourself, the only thing you're going to find is darkness and confusion and grief and sorrow and discouragement. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, as the the hymnist, hymnist said. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, said the writer of Hebrews. So watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, but not looking at yourself and trying to figure it all out on your own. Look to Christ. Listen to him. Look at him. Feed upon him. The word of God will do its work. You'll be convicted of your sin so that you can repent And keep looking to Christ. The law is there. The gospel is there. And I hope we emphasize the gospel. But your flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing. But in your humanity you're weak. You can't endure everything on your own. You can't take care of it all on your own. You need Jesus Christ our great shepherd. The good shepherd. You need to hear Jesus cry out, Abba, Father, so that you can cry out, Abba, Father. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, 15. We are, by the spirit of adoption, sons who cry out, Abba, Father. Call out to Jesus. Be strengthened to continue following him. I think often when we see Jesus saying in the Gospels, follow me. In fact, I don't think I know what he's saying is I'm the shepherd. You're my sheep. Stay near me. Follow me. Not get your act together and do better. You didn't come here this morning for me to open up the scripture and beat you over the head with it and say, You failed here, 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 and here, and here, 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 and here is what you need to be doing. And you need to just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and do better. Or you're not as bad as you think you are. You know, you can just keep on living however you're living, and it's really not going to affect you, even though it's sin. No, 
you came to hear, yes, the law of God, but you also came to hear the gospel, right? You want to obey Jesus. You want to obey the Father. It is your desire if you're born again. If you don't have that desire at all, well, then you might need to question whether you're born again. But you don't assure yourself that you are in Christ and following Him by the level of your sanctification outwardly. You assure yourself by looking at Christ and letting His Word do the work Convicting you of your sin, bringing you to repent, turn to Christ in faith. Because with repentance always comes faith. Because you're turning from this, not looking at that anymore, and you're looking to Christ, right? Yes, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Yes, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. But Jesus didn't look at them and say, now get out of here. I'm disgusted with all of you. You're a very disappointing herd of sheep. No, he says, come. He says, sit here while I pray. We need to be, as Pastor alluded to earlier, Not like Martha, who was worried and troubled about a great many things, but like Mary, who had chosen the good part, you remember? What was she doing? What was that good part? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus while he taught. She was near the shepherd, being cared for. Mind you, You need to pray, as I said. Jesus does want you praying. But your prayers do not have to be something extravagant or lengthy. Jesus, in fact, in Matthew chapter 6 tells us that's not the case at all, right? Before he tells us how to pray the Lord's Prayer. So don't think that you have to just go on and on with a great many words. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Therefore, pray like this. Well, we do need to pray. But Christ is always praying for us. And even when we do not know how to pray as we ought, said Paul in Romans 8, listen to what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ who indwells you. He Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You don't know how to pray? Well, Jesus does. And His Spirit dwells in you. And He conveys... All the groanings of your heart, even if you can't form words to express them. Just come to Him. Cast all your care upon Him, as Scripture says, for He cares for you. He's always praying for us. The Spirit is helping us to pray. Jesus kept coming back three times, you'll see here, 
finding the disciples sleeping, but he remained vigilant. He remained gracious. He remained patient, even to the point of laying down his life for the sheep. What a shepherd. I always tell my children, I love you more than I love my own life. I will lay down my life for my wife and my children. I'd like to say, wholeheartedly, I'd lay down my life for anyone else. That could be debatable depending on what mood I'm in. But I'm to be willing to die even for my brethren in the Lord. But I'll never always be faithful in everything. But Jesus is. Gracious, patient, laying down his life for the sheep. His betrayer, verse 42, was now at hand, delivering the Lord into the hands of sinful men to die. But Jesus was all the while leading his own in the paths of righteousness for the namesake of his Father. Maybe you've never looked at that passage from the standpoint of a shepherd and his sheep. But I do want you to remember this as we've gone through it together. Jesus knows your need. He laid down his life to meet it. And he will always, always be the good shepherd to those who hear his voice and follow him. Do you hear the voice of the shepherd this morning? Are you following him? Every time the church gathers, it is Jesus who calls us together. Just like the disciples in the upper room, just like the disciples at Gethsemane, just like the disciples when Mary was there sitting at the feet of Jesus listening, just like the disciples as they walked along the road to Emmaus, just like the disciples when Jesus would take them away from the crowds and call them aside privately and instruct them and explain to them the kingdom of God, our great and good shepherd is doing that even this morning and in every church, true church that gathers before him today. Guiding us by His Spirit through His Word. So, I leave you with words of encouragement, further words of encouragement. Don't despair because you're weak. But you are weak. And so am I. But don't despair. Stay near the Good Shepherd. He's called you this morning to draw near to Him. And we've been doing that, and now we're going to draw near in communion with the Heavenly Father and with Christ our Lord and with the Spirit of God who indwells us. Watch and pray. Bow your heads with me, please. Our Father in Heaven, what great comfort it is to us weak sheep that you have given us such a good shepherd in our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Father, how much we need to be reminded of our weakness and not trust in ourselves, but indeed to look to our Lord Jesus who laid down His life for us. And we are grateful that we have the Lord's table to so wonderfully remind us of what He's done. 
this sinless Savior that we have, His perfect life lived for us in keeping with Your law in every way, this good shepherd, this sinless shepherd who gave His life for us on the cross and bore our sin in His own body on the tree. We praise You for Him. We praise You for the fellowship, the reconciliation to You that we have in Christ, our Lord and Savior, our Good Shepherd, in whose name we pray. Amen.